You know, so I was thinking, this week's Parsha, you have the Ten Commandments. So I'm saying to myself, so what should we do? Should we maybe talk about the prohibition of making a tamuna, an image? So we could argue about whether taking a photograph, but that's not what you guys want to learn about. And anyway, that was defined about 150 years ago, what a photograph is and what three-dimensional is. And so we're not doing that. So I figured, let's go with something that everybody messes up. So you notice I'm being careful on the words. I didn't say screws up. But I said, now it's in there. But rather, <laughs> when everybody messes up, keep it of aim, right? Let's learn about keep it of aim Honoring your mother and your father. Nobody does a good job. That's the first thing. So I figured if I'm going to learn, if we're going to learn a little bit about keep it up aim. Taking shots at Ravavi. <laughs> take shots at So I figured what I'm going to do is I'm going to visit my mother today. Because if I don't visit my mother, then how can I talk about keep it up aim? Hey, Zevi, come join us. Are you really here to learn tonight? You're here to learn tonight? Yeah. Sweet. It's a, but we're talking about honoring our parents. <laughs> yeah, come sit down, buddy. Uh, fine, I'll stay for five minutes. Stay as long as you want. Wow. This is Mr. Zev, who's going to Israel this year to learn in Or Sameach's yeshiva called Derech. He was accepted this week, and he's going. And he was accepted on the spot. That's a big deal. Hey, everyone else was also, but yeah. Yeah, but not, every, not everyone, but uh, he was A-Rod, is, A-Rod, by the way, is doing well. Baruch Hashem. It's a, it's a good place for him over there. Yeah. That's not a Rasmiyak. So anyway, I figured we're going to learn about Kibravei. Yeah. We're going to try, because it's the hardest mitzvah. It's absolutely, no matter what you're going to do, I mean, I shouldn't say that. I should say, in the world that we live in, it's very hard. It's very hard because the American dream is, as we all know, to be independent, rugged individualists who do not want to become older than 28 years old, right? We're not supposed to be older than that because your body starts deteriorating at what age? Probably day one. What's the, uh, like, look at actors and actresses. Nobody's old. Age is bad. Parents are stupid. Right? That's, that's, that's the way that media depicts everything. So we're going to learn, like, so I think some very interesting gemaras and thoughts on Kibbutz Aim. Then what we're going to do, just to give a perspective, is one of the, uh, in the Gemara, it's the prime, I think the primary area in the Gemara which talks about Kibbutz Aim is in Kedushin on page 31, uh, 32a and b. Um, we're going to learn some highlights from that and some Tosvos. And one of the people who spoke, who's the stories of how we acted with Kibbutz Aim is a man by, a tzaddik by the name of Rabbi, Rabbi Tarfon who is one of the teachers of Rabbi Akiva and then becomes a colleague of Rabbi Akiva. And we're going to do then some history and some stories about Rabbi Tarfon. 
following this idea that we had for the last five weeks of learning about a different Tana on each night when it has some relationship. Okay, so the first thing we're going to do, and I have to tell you, I know that everybody knows the first story. Everybody knows the first story, but what we're going to do is, it's not only that we're going to learn it inside and ask questions on that, but I'm going to tell you a very interesting commentary that the Chavetz Chaim has on the Gemara, which is, I, I found it to be very interesting. So we're going to start, okay? Anybody have any question on Keep It Up Aim? Do you have to listen to your parents? I guess that's the question, right? Mm-hmm. So sometimes it's better not to live near your parents. Really. Some, sometimes if you know you're going to fight with your parents, then move out of town. Seriously. If people know that they're going to find themselves in difficult situations with, let's say, let's say your wife doesn't get along with your mother, God forbid, or, you, or your husband doesn't get along with your father, so, you know, try to make the relationship as sparse as possible. If that's the only way you're going to keep peace. You know, you got to be smart. The purpose is, you know, the famous Vince Lombardi once said, it's an important thought to think. Vince Lombardi, do you know who that was, Vince Lombardi? No, I didn't think so. Yeah, the uh, Super Bowl trophy is called the Lombardi Trophy, right? Uh, he was probably, I, I think that the world says that he was the greatest football coach in history. I think. Am I right? That's Arguably. Okay. I think so. But anyway, he said, winning is not the most important thing. It's the only thing. That's what he said. It's the only thing. So when it comes to honoring parents, you know, dealing with parents, again, again, you know, you can't be, you, you got to know the situation, you know, where you're holding. But sometimes, sometimes evasion is also an option and keep it of aim. It shouldn't be there. It shouldn't be like that. But sometimes it has to be that way. And we have to do our best to do everything possible. Let's learn the Gemara inside. In the first place, on the first page, on the bottom of the left, you'll see a little dot. Boi mine Rav Ula. So the Gemara says that they, the question was posed to Rav Ula. How far? Like, how far do you have to go? Your mother's making you crazy. Your father is just difficult to be with. How far do you got to go? Amor Laham, so Rav Ula said, you know what? You want to know about Kibravim? To go out, go and examine the actions of this, notice the word, what the example is, of this Ovikachavim, this guy, like that word, guy, right? We're going to find out, let's follow this non-Jew from the city of Ashkelon, Ashkelon also was the capital, if I'm not mistaken, of the Palestinians. So it wasn't an area that was known for its spiritual loftiness. And we're not talking about it. You would imagine that Ula would point to Jerusalem and say, go to Jerusalem, and in Meir Sha'arim, there's this tzaddik who's sitting there, and you know, whatever. No, no, no. He wants, you want to know Kibbutz 
You go to this non-Jewish guy who's living in, in Ashkelon, and, and then the Gemara gives his name, which I think is very fascinating. Because you have to learn from everybody. We don't live in a myopic... Judaism is not myopic. You have to learn from everybody. And if the greatest person on the earth, when it comes to Kibbutz Bein, is this non-Jewish guy, then you learn from him. And not only that, but it's very clear that Ula obviously did some research to come up with this, right? He obviously knew this. Otherwise, how would he come up with a non-Jew? He would come up with somebody that lived in Tzfat, because they most of the, many of the Chachamim lived in that area. Okay, and he, we have his name, but Dama Ben Nesina Shmo. His name was Dama Ben Nesina. That was his name. So there's three stories about him, about what he did. The first one is the most famous. Pamachas, it once happened. Bikshu Chachamim Prakmatia Beshishim Ribuizchar. The Chachamim wanted to do some business with him, right? And had a business deal. And the amount, of, the value of the business deal was 600,000 coins, which was like a phenomenal amount of money. And he put, the money was in the safe, or whatever the objects were, were hidden in the safe or in some room where, which was locked up. And the key was in, for, for, for this, was under his father's head. So he would have to wake up his father to get the key. According to Tosos, it wasn't that his head was on top of the pillow, but rather he was like sprawled and his foot was on top of where the key was located. But one way or the other, he would have to go wake up his father, the Lotzero. And he didn't wake up his father. Now, of course, everybody's going to say, like, wouldn't his father be happy if he'd be woken up? Like if my kid wouldn't wake me up, but I would make a deal of, whatever this value was, wouldn't we be a little bit disappointed, right? You'd say to your kid, what the hell is wrong with you? If somebody's there with cash and he wants to buy something, do me a favor, wake me up, right? That's what you would say. So the commentaries explain that this was a non-perishable object, which would only go up in value and not go down in value. So therefore... There was no issue of potential loss. It was just a matter of, especially in the universe of bargaining, you know, I'm sorry, I can't wake up my father. Okay, what you mean is that you need another 10000 That That's what that means. It doesn't mean that I'm not going to buy it from you. You're just playing hardball. Do you know that world a little bit? You know what I'm talking about? The non-Ashkenazi world, you know? That, that, that's, the way that they, that's the way it works over there, you know? So, okay. Let's go with the next story. Same, it's the next, unless anybody has any questions, we'll stop anytime you want. Okay. Alma Rav Yehuda. By the way, you should just know that these are the simple stories. We're going to get to the more fun stories in a little bit. Um, that nobody, I, I, Zevi, love you. Thank you for coming. This, that boy is a very good boy. I can't put it on tape. If I knew how to stop this thing and to put it on, I would tell you about this kid. Let's just say he 
He's going to Israel on his own without any parental help. It's okay. Let it go. So they asked another person. They asked Rabbi Eliezer again the same question, like like how far, how much keep it of aim? Where is the limit? So he gave it to Rabbi Eliezer, a different person from the same time period. He says the same answer. You want to know? Go and find this non-Jew, Ba'ashkelon, in Ashkelon, and you know his name is Don Ben Nesina. You want to know his story? Two different cases. He said the Chachamim came, they were looking for a specific stone for the breastplate of the Kohen Gadol, and they were going to pay 60,000 coins. And again, the the the, uh, the key was under his father's head, below zero, and he didn't wake up his father. Listen, what happens, and this is going to be a point that the Chavetz Chaim talks about. L'shon Acharis, the next year. God rewarded this guy. How did he reward him? He had a red heifer who was born in his flock. Okay? Which is, there's been, according to the Gemara, there's been, if I'm not mistaken, I think six or seven, uh, I think six red heifers throughout history. The Gemara talks about it, not over here. So having a red heifer, a paraduma, is like an invaluable type of reward because you need it for the base on Mikdash. That's what we're waiting for. We can't build the base on Mikdash without a red heifer. Do you realize that do you guys realize that? That's the missing key. That's that's the yeah, that's the missing the missing link to building the base on Mikdash is the red heifer. So how long that's why by the, the way the as long as they could. Because if it was only six... I think it was right, six. It Maybe it was five. So, it was very, well, very... The question is, how, how long did each cow last for the ashes? What? Yeah, what did you, you say? Hundreds of years? Yeah, it could be hundreds of years. Be, yeah. yeah. They, what they did was they did the whole processing, put it in ashes, and the ashes were held in... Um, I don't want to say the wrong material. I don't know if it was in silver or gold. Whatever it was, it was, it was held... You know, that is absolutely what's holding us back right now. You know, it's not the political situation that the Arabs don't want us to build on the mosque. I mean, that could be a little political problem, but everything is a political problem, right? But that's, that's, thank you, Rabbi Noy. That's the problem. So, So the Chachamim come in because they need. That red heifer, right? They need that red heifer. So, Amr Lahem. So this non-Jew, you got to understand what kind of person. He doesn't wake up his father. But you know there are people who excel in an area of like not waking up their father, but they're, in every other way, they could be really miseries. They could be money-hungry. They could be anti-Semitic. But they got this one area that they're amazing at, not this Dhamma Ben Nasina. 
He says, He says to the rabbis, I know about you, you meaning you Jewish people, that if I asked for all the money in the world, right? I asked for an astronomical $10 trillion for this paraduma, atem nosingly, you're going to get it for me. Now, first of all, you hear his attitude toward Jews with money, that he thinks that we could get anything that we want with money, okay? Which is not so cool, but... But he feels that we could, but he was right. At least he goes against the regular stereotype. Yeah, no, he is. He is. He's saying that we're not cheap about it. Yeah, 100%. And he's right. Because for the purpose of the Paraduma, he would get everything. Ella, he says, He says, but you know what? I'm not asking you for all that money. Ella, all I'm asking is the money that I lost. That I lost because I didn't wake up my father. That's who he was. Okay. So I have a question for you. I have a question. Uh, first, does anybody have any question here? You know what? I'm going to do the third. Let's do the third, um, this third story about Dhamma Ben Nasina, and then we'll talk about him. What, what, what the Chavis Times question is. Do you see this little arrow, or you don't? Do you see the little arrow there? Three lines further on the side. Pamachas. So the Gemara says, Pamachas, Hoya Lavu Sirkan Shilzohov. It once happened that this Dumbinasina ended up in the so in the in the um in the uh, what's it called the the Roman Senate and he was wearing Sirkan Shilzohov is like a golden cloak. For Yoshev Ben Gedoli Romi, and he was sitting in the Senate. He made it all the way up there. Bosa Imo. His mother comes. She was out of her mind. We've never met a mother who's crazy, by the way. Just so let me just explain. There's such a thing that happens that sometimes parents go crazy. You can't believe it because this is the mother that you remember never raised her voice, never said anything hurtful, never made any sarcastic jokes. Are we talking clinically like Alzheimer's or are we talking like she just went Well, let's just say what he did, what she did. Bossa Imo, his mother came. I'll let you decide this. The Caruso Imo and Mimenu and she ripped his, his golden cloak Vitavcha lo al rosho, hit him over the head with her pocketbook or whatever. Vyarkalo befonov, and she spit on him in his face in front of the in the senate by all his buddies. Vlohechlima, and he like he didn't embarrass her. He just stayed chilled. Okay, so that's the stories of Dama Ben Nesina. Amazing thing that this is this non-Jew that that's who we're learning from. You don't expect that, right? You don't expect. But that's what it is, because it's it's intellectually honest. It's truth, and you can learn from everybody. Chavetz Chaim asked a question. Anybody have any questions about this? Throw it out. Try. Who could find another example? Is there an example of what? Of of you would have aimed by by Jews. Apparently, he was the top of the line. The Gemara says, "Who was the best?" Apparently, you know, Jews are good at some things. But you know there was a uh, there's a 
I can't help it. There's, there's a very funny comedian. His name is Sebastian. Yeah. And he's talking about Jews and Italians. You know, and, his and his wife is Jewish. And he's talking about, like in basketball, that Italians are not, you know, they might play okay, but, you know. And he's talking about, you never hear, you know, you know, Ficelli's with the ball, he's about to, you know, you, you just don't hear. And he says, and Jews are doctors, they're not basketball players, you know. Maybe he would have, they would, listen, bottom line is, you got to go for the top. This yeah, was the top. The was, aren't there a direction to say that Asab was the pinnacle of Kibudalah? Right, so maybe this is him continuing right. that legacy. Right. So it shouldn't be surprising per se. Okay. But let me hear a question. Who, who defines Kibudalah? Would it not be defined by the father? Meaning, in other words, the, the same question in, in different words that you asked earlier, right? You were saying earlier that the father would have wanted him to wake him up. So wouldn't keep it off aim? Wouldn't honoring your father be defined by what your father wants? Right. The assumption is that, the, that he wasn't going to lose money on it. That's the assumption that he was not going to lose money on it. Because if you're right, because if he would lose money, then the father wouldn't want him to do it. But I'm saying regardless. Also, the other opinion is that it wasn't his father's money. If you read it clearly over here, he, it wasn't his father's money. The, it was his money. He just put the key under his mm -hmm. father's head. It wasn't his father's money. One opinion is it's father's money, but it was a non-perishable object which is only going to go up. You know? If you had gold and the gold was going to sit for another five, ten years, you're not losing money on it. If you have dollars, then you lose money on it. I think, maybe. That's Thanks. why dentists don't. Yeah. So let me hear good You want to hear good kasha? God has a lot of ways to give rewards. But if God wants to get this guy, if God wants this Mr. Dhamma Ben Nasina to make money, to, to, to make money, right? And we know the Gemara has all these type of stories. So the Gemara could have just said, like, you know, you know the famous story with uh, Yosef Mokir Shabbos, Yosef who was, he was very into honoring Shabbos, he used to use, use all his money on Friday to find, to, you know, to buy a fish for Shabbos. And then one day, this very wealthy Roman nobleman had this jewel in his hat, and the hat fell into the river. And a fish ate it, and then Yosef buys that piece of fish, and he has the big jewel, right? That's a famous Gemara, right? If God wants you to be, there's an old Yiddish state, uh, phrase, which says in Yiddish, if God wants you to be, if God wants it to happen, then it doesn't work well. But the bottom line is, if God wants you to be rich, you're going to become rich. That's what's going to happen. So, God could make it that he's walking down the street and all of a sudden somebody upstairs in the, you know, drops. I mean, you guys watch the videos of the kids in, Cal in, in I think it was, in Cal no, it was in Chicago that there was a, um, uh, a Brinks truck that 
a lot of money came out of, and it was just like floating $100 bills all over. You ever see that? You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. if God wants you to make the money, it's going to happen, right? There's also the classic story with the desk. The desk. Yeah, the money and the desk. Right, yeah. yeah. Like a guy bought a desk yeah, on like Craigslist or something and then found millions of dollars. God wants it to happen. You're walking down the street and you're going to find a treasure chest right there. If that's what God wants, it's going to happen. So isn't it a strange thing? Isn't it a strange thing that he, of all the things that God's going to do is give them a red heifer? I mean, it works. He was right. But isn't that like, I mean, that's not, that's not what you thought. I mean, I, maybe if you learned the Gemara, then you knew that that's what's going to happen. But, but if you didn't learn this Gemara before, and God wants you to be rich... Then, then it could have said, and the next year the king of the Caesar of Rome said, please come to Rome and I'm going to appoint you as a nobleman and all of a sudden you have all this money, right? Which it seems like that happened also, right? So what's with the red heifer? But that's the point though. It's, it's more than just the monetary reward. It's the reward also that he now had an opportunity oh, so that's, from his flock that he had. So that's a very deep answer which I did not see by the Chavetz Chaim. Hear what he's saying. Here the guy goes and does a tremendous mitzvah. So we're going to reward him mitzvah gererist mitzvah. When you do one mitzvah it causes another mitzvah. And therefore, I'm not just going to, God is saying, I'm not just going to give him a reward which begins and ends at, the, at its monetary, you know, a basis. But rather, we're going to give a reward. I'm sorry the food isn't here. It should be here. But, but rather, we're going to give a reward that starts physical but causes you to have a piece of the rock. Right? That, that's a, a, have a... You, you're, you're, you're allowing for Jews to continue doing mitzvahs. So you, do the big, you did a big mitzvah, you're going to continue it. That's a beautiful answer. That's very nice. That's not what the Mishnah Purah says. That's not what Chavis says, though. So let's think of some other answer. That, that's a good answer. That's really very good. Let's hear. We're talking about Dom Menasina. He doesn't wake up his father. So God gives him, as a reward, he gets a red heifer. And a red heifer, you could charge anything you want. Every year or two, you hear about a, a, a cow, some, uh, uh, not a cow, a, a, a calf. You hear in Texas that they found a guy who had a calf, and they were waiting. They, they sent rabbis from New York to check it out, and then one day there was this one white hair, and it's finished. Same thing in Israel, you know, all the time, because that's what happens. We're just waiting for that one heifer. Okay, so give me another answer. Anybody want to try? This is really crazy what he said. He said, <clears throat> keep up the aim is a rational mitzvah. Right? We have basically three types of mitzvahs. We have mitzvahs that are rational. Keep up the aim. Not, not, not killing somebody. Not stealing. Those are rational mitzvahs. That doesn't mean that they're less important, and it does, I mean, it doesn't mean that you don't need the Torah, but it's a type of mitzvah that you could come on your own to understand. You might not come to the extreme that no matter, even if your father is mean to you, you still have to be good to him. You might come, you know, with the American dream that if your father's nice to you, then you'd be nice to him. 
but the concept is rational. Then you have those mitzvahs which don't work that way, but rather, they're not rational, but once you hear about it, it makes sense. Example, uh, let's say Shemitah, the seventh year of leaving the land, like not, not plowing the year. So you're not going to come up with that idea on your own necessarily, but when you hear about it, my, uh, my family's in fruits and vegetables, right? You know that. My cousin, you know, you ever, have you noticed that uh, horseradish is not as harsh as it used to be? At the Seder, anybody here notice that? That it's not as as sharp as it, you, you've noticed that? It's true, it's not. Because they're reusing the fields over and over and over, and eventually the fields become weaker. The, the, they, lose the they lose the potency, horseradish specifically. It's the way it is. All right? So that's a mitzvah that you wouldn't, come up with, but when you hear it, it makes sense to let the land, you know, get back to its own. There's a lot of mitzvahs like that. And then there's a third type of mitzvah. That's an ira- an, a non-rational mitzvah. A paraduma is a non-rational mitzvah. You're taking a, you, what it does is you're, you're, you're sprinkling the, the, the ashes with the water on the person, which we don't know what that means anyway, but let's make believe we understand that, and that person becomes purified, but the person who sprinkles it becomes impure. That's a, a non-rational mitzvah. So Chavetz Chaim said that in Shomayim in heaven, when this person, this non-Jew, was doing this mitzvah of Kibbutz Aim, it like it shook the heavens because here the Jewish people who are so special they were not the people chosen to be identified as being the super keeper of the aim person, right? It's not a Jew. So it was a little bit what's known as a kitruk. It was a little bit of a of a like there was like a prosecution against the Jews a little bit here. You're supposed to be like the, the, the light to the nations and everything. You're supposed to be the, the, the epitome of doing a mitzvah, and yet the non-Jew from Ashkelon, which was a very non-good neighborhood of town, he's the epitome. So in heaven, it was a little bit shaking around, so to speak, against the Jews. Comes, so our Kaddish Baruch Hu said, you know what I'm going to do to fix it up a little bit? I'm going to reward him with a mitzvah that the Jews do, which is a non-rational mitzvah, which is on a higher level. A non-rational mitzvah is very clear that you're doing it for the sake of God because it's not rational. And that's why the reward was through the non-rational mitzvah of Paraduma, which showed the greatness that the Jewish people still are up there. That's what Chabas Chaim says. Switched it around for a positive way. So now let's go on. We got that. Next case. This is very interesting. We're going to do this inside. I'm going to learn Rashi. We're going to learn Tosos on this. And then we're going to go to Rabbi, to, to Rabbi Tarfon, who is like the interesting killer when it comes to Kibbutz Okay? So it's the last line of the first page we have over there in Lamed, the first page. The Gemara says over here, 
Tani Avimi Bered Ravavua. Avimi, the son of Ravavua, said, Yesh Machala Adam Pisyoni. There's a guy who gives his father, feeds his father Pisyoni. Pisyoni would be considered like, I don't know what the right word would be, but the most expensive high-end food that you could get. He's feeding his father. I listened to a shiva of Freifeld. The way he described it was, he's giving his, he's feeding his father filet mignon on gold, on, on plates that are inlaid with solid 24-karat gold. You know what I mean? He's going the most expensive. What's the most expensive kosher restaurant in New York? Reserve huh? cut. Reserve cut. Okay. And what's the most expensive in reserve cut? What would you say? Wagyu. Huh? Wagyu. Okay. I don't know what that is. It's a massaged cow. A massaged dead cow. Okay. <laughs> but he's massaged. Okay. As long as he's massaged, that's no, all that matters. Okay. Good. I'm sure it is. I don't know what you're <laughs> yeah, talking about. I got to tell you, my father was a shaykhit. My father was a shaykhit, and I became a vegetarian after I saw my father take his <laughs> knife, which is this long. It was a shaykhasa knife. And he put it underneath it, and the blood came out, and it was finished. So I don't know what the massaging is, you know what I mean? <laughs> I'm not sure what that is. But the Gemara says, so there's this guy who gives his father Pisioni massaged black Angus meat from reserve cut on golden plates. He goes to hell. And then you have another person who makes his father work in the grist mill, I think it's called a grist mill. Grist mill is those big mills that were by the river that would uh, grind f- grain. I think it's called a grist mill, right? And what happens with him is he ends up going to Umevio. Next page. The He gets Olam Haba. That's counterintuitive entirely. So one guy makes his father work by a mill like a horse, he gets Olam Haba. The other guy gives him massaged black Angus beef patties, not beef patties, six ounce, I don't even know, but you know what, whatever it is, and he goes to heaven. Okay, look at Tosos over here. Yeah. Okay, Tosos, say it's, I made a circle around it. You see I made a circle on the word Vitardo? In the middle, right in, do you see it? Right in the middle, it says, in parentheses, Pea Pealef. Do you see that in parentheses? Okay. So he says over here, what does this mean, Garcina? This is uh, the story. Maisa Bishneham. And we're going to tell you the story about both these people. Maisa Be'echa, there was a story about a man that he would feed his father the massaged black Angus food, whatever that is. Pamachas, Pamachas, it once happened. His father said to him, simple question, while he's being 
He's being served by his son. But the father asked him a simple question. Where'd you get all the money that you're able to do this? Now that's a, like where Freifeld said, that's a, not only is that a legitimate question, but a father often, he just, he wants to, you know, like, it's nachis for him to hear that the son, his job is doing well. Like he's, the father asked this, not, first of all, it's a legitimate question to ask your, for a father to ask, like, like how are you able to handle this financially? That's, that's legitimate. But not only is that legitimate, but it could also be like a Pesach, an opening that the father's trying to say, like, you know, how's business going? You know, I'm proud of you. And sometimes men, or women, but men don't always know how to say those words, so they'll say, like, you know, like, how, how, could you, how, how are you affording this? But they mean more than that. Okay, so what does the kid say? Amalo, he says, Saba, old man. That's how he says to him. Saba. It doesn't mean like we say Saba, like it would be, like, you know. You know. No, it doesn't mean Zaidi. It means, you know, like, old, old man. Mayi kafislach. What do you care? You know? Ad Kalomar, which means, la'os v'achol. Just swallow it and eat it up. You know what I mean? Like, you're no different than a dog. Just eat like a dog. Now you're going to say, so why is he spending all that money? Who knows? It could be because he wants to show off to his friends. You know what I mean? It could be that he's got somebody else's account that he's putting it on. I know nobody's ever met people that would ever do things like that. But you know what I mean. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's all sorts of reasons that it could make him do it. But he was being disrespectful to his father. So yeah, he's giving him good food, but he's being disrespectful. You talk to your father like that? Old man just eating, shut up and eat. Just be happy and enjoy. Negative. What's the second case? That's the guy who's going to hell, even though he's giving him the best food in the world. What's the second case? Shub the second story is Shehoyotochem Berechayim. There was a guy who was working in the grist mill. He himself was working like a, you know, working really hard. Vav Zakin Hoyolo. And his father, he had an old father. And there was a Pirish, Mitzvah HaMelech. There was a, a rule from the king that anybody that was out of work had to go and be conscribed and work for the king. Now, I don't know everybody here. I only know one person here that was in the army. We're not starting up with you. Okay, I can't help it. But my friend, the almost general, the almost, the major, corporate major, major corporal, whatever. In the army, there's no time off. You got to, when you're working from the army, it, it could be 24 hours straight, right? Whatever it is, whatever the king wants to do is what you got to do. So Tosa says over here, this guy said, listen, I can't let you do nothing. Apparently the king didn't want men just doing nothing. I don't want you to be in the army where they're going to abuse you and they're going to make you work 24 hours a day. 
So rather, I'll go to the army. I'll be abused by the king and by the governor. You know, I'll, I'll go there. You take my job and you work in the mill. But over there, you'll have a nine-to-five job, working hard, but it'll be over. And I'm going to go in your stay because I can work for 24 hours and whatever. So in essence, what he's doing is he's causing his father to work, but his intention and the way he's presenting it to his father is that he's doing it for a positive reason. He's not doing it to screw up his father. He's not doing it out of misery. So the guy who makes his father work in the, in the, in the, in the mill gets Olam Haba because his intention is good and he's trying to make it easier on his father. And the guy who's giving his father bad... Now let's go to Rebbe Tarfan. So just because we're not going to have enough time to go through everything about Rebbe Tarfan tonight. Rebbe Tarfan was a colleague of Rabbi Akiva. Rebbe Tarfan was very tall. He was the tallest of all the Amoroyim and Tanoim. Very tall. He was extraordinarily wealthy. The Gemara says about him that one time there was a bride that walked by his house and he felt that she had no money. She wasn't. She was on the way to the wedding, and he felt it wasn't. She wasn't dressed properly for the wedding. Not inappropriately, but not, you know, she didn't have money. So he immediately went and had his fam. His he says his mother and his wife, you know, buy get her clothes, new clothes, and give her jewelry, and had her made up, and then he danced around her with the other people, because he was a tremendous big baltzadaka. He lived. During the time of the destruction of the Beis HaMikdash, he was from the school of Shammai, not of Hillel, and he was one of the teachers of Rabbi Akiva, but eventually he became a Talmud of Rabbi Akiva, uh, a colleague of Rabbi Akiva. So with that in mind, look at this. Rabbi Tarfo. Okay. We are going to enter the area that is beyond what we're used to understanding. Yeah, you see the uh, arrow there? Just a few lines of Rabbi Akiva. I'm Rabbi Tarfun. Rabbi Tarfun Havile Ahima. He had an elderly mother. Whenever she wanted to climb into bed, he would bend down and she would climb on top of him. That's the first thing. So she wanted to go on the bed. He made himself into a step stool. That itself is crazy. And whenever she would want to get out of the bed, he would do the same and she would walk on his back. So he came to the shore, to the yeshiva, and he told people what he does. And they said, You haven't even reached half the honor, even half the honor of. Of 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 kibud of the aim. Look at Tosos. 
Rabbi Tarfim. It's the second Tosfos. Yesh Shalmi, It says in the in the Jerusalem Talmud about Rabbi uh, Rabbi Tarfon. Pamachas. It once happened. Imed Rabbi Tarfon, the mother of Rabbi Tarfon, of the Pizmaki Didei Bechatzera. She lost her pocketbook. Now, I don't know if she lost it or she was going senile. And you know what I mean. They start losing when people get older. They start losing things. Does any, know, anybody know what I'm talking about? They start losing things. So she left her bed to look for the pocketbook. I'm sure there was a discussion there where Rabbi Tarfan said, I will look for you. And she said, I'm going to look for it myself. So what did Rabbi Tarfon do? He put his hands underneath her feet as she was walking, so that her feet would not get dirty and and and, and muddy. So she's walking around and looking around for whatever she's looking for. And he's on his knees, or however he was doing this. You got to be on the ground in order to be. I mean, I, I don't see any other way, especially if you're tall. I don't know how you do that, but he was putting his feet, hands under her feet. That's Kibra of the aim. But nothing takes the cake of the next one. This is Rabbi Yishmael. Here, listen to this here. But Od Yisab Yushalmi, there's a story, another story in the Yushalmi. The Imei de Rabbi Shmuel about the story of the mother of Rabbi Yishmael. Okay? You ready for the story of Rabbi Yishmael? You know the story of Rabbi Yishmael? You probably know it. Kol shaita v'shaita daviyosi Rabbi Yishmael v'beid midrasho Whenever Rabbi Yishmael would come back from the base Medrash this is the last thing we're doing tonight whenever she would, he would come back from the yeshiva she would wash his feet as a good mommy. Right? And then she drink the water. Okay, let's do that again. Rabbi Shmuel, big tzaddik, big Talmud Chacham. He goes to this base medrash. People were barefoot a lot then, right? Or even if they weren't barefoot, they were wearing sandals, right? He comes home. She co- he comes back from the yeshiva. He washes her. She washes his feet out of respect for her son. And then she drinks the water. When Rabbi Shmuel realized what was going on over here that his mother was washing his feet and then drinking the water? He, he was like aghast and he refused to let her do this. Right? You wouldn't let your mother do this. Nobody would. <coughs> you like wouldn't let your scenes. mother do this now, would you? I know. Sounds like there are a lot of senile old women in this tomorrow. Ad Shabbos, no. Listen what she does. They, she goes to the to the base medrash and she tells over the story. 
And she complained to the to, to the Chachamim about Rabbi Shmuel, her son. That he's not doing Kibravim because I want to drink the water of his dirty feet and he's not letting me do it. And the Chachamim were aghast. They couldn't believe the story. This is like a little bit... Uh, did you ever have that in your practice? <laughs> okay. And they asked, they called Rabbi Shmuel. Right? They called Rabbi Shmuel to find out, is this true? The people in Mamaisa, they tells them this, Rabbi Shmuel tells them the story that this is this is what my mother's out. This is what she's doing. And they commanded him, let her do what she wants. And that's Kibbut of Aim. If this is gonna make her happy, and this is and she refuses. Okay, I I don't know. Sometimes mothers can get very stubborn. This is a little bit farther than I'm used to. 